Andrew Huberman recently talked about increasing adrenaline after you learn something in order to increase retention. So here is how I implemented this. I currently have two scheduled learning hours in my day, studying hours you could say, and previously I had them in the morning, in the basically in the not in the early morning but in the morning. But one of the problems was that I didn't take advantage of me being fully awake in the early morning. So once I stand up, I didn't study, but what I did do is write for an hour usually. That's at least the plan, even though I usually don't hit it and I, then I just do something else. So instead of having now these two hours from eight to 10, and I experimented with from 10 to 12, from 14 to 16 and from 16 to 18 o'clock. But by now switching these to the morning, to the early morning and to the evening basically. So what I'm currently aiming at is five o'clock in the morning. So at five, the second one would be at nine. So why does this make sense for me? I try to aim to stand up at four. This works out on average over the last years, I would say in 30 to 50% in the last weeks, more close to 50 to 75% probably. So now if I'm up at four, I can do a few things until I'm ready basically. So I clean my apartment actually, and I do a few other things. This already puts me into a kind of an active state, into a forward thinking state, you could say, because I have to be active. I have to kind of think about things, but I also can think about things because these things like cleaning your apartment tend to be already quite habitualized, so therefore automated. So now I have one hour in order to learn. And I do realize already that I like this hour of learning in the early parts of the day. Also, this gives me then maybe ideas and so on for the rest of the day if I record something like this. This already gives me ideas maybe, potentially. It also forces me kind of to take a perspective that is more data-based since you cannot learn something without with your typical biases because you just have to learn the thing that it has to be learned. So what I then do after the one hour is that I go for a run. But this run is not actually a cardio run. It is much more basically to again increase my alertness and also to basically make sure that at this point in time my body is fully awake for the rest of the day. It additionally serves the purpose of potentially giving me already daylight exposure. So Andrew Huberman also talks about the talks about the importance of early daylight basically. You want to catch the early blue light of the day and this then spikes your cortisol. And what this does for you is that it basically synchronizes the clocks within your body. So different organs and so on and so forth have different times and they need to be synchronized. And the better the, the, better the synchronization is, the closer basically the time interval between these different time clocks, the better you tend to work and the better your overall daily, daily biological schedule tends to work. So what I do is I finish working basically, I switch tasks at, at six and what I then do is I have basically about five to 10 minutes depending on how quick I am in order to basically leave the house 
And then what I do is I sprint for 10 minutes. It's not sprinting only, it's basically an interval training. A super quick and short interval training that lasts for 10 minutes. So there are two sides to this. The first side is, or there are two ideas about this. Basically the idea is first to have these all out sprints you should do. And because I do cardio usually in the evening, but I also do workouts in the evening, both are not very high and intensive. So by having them every single day in the morning, this ramps up the systems of my body. And it also just gives you basically uh, a maximum. It gives you a maximum also for the rest of the day. If you then do something indoors, for example, compared to you running in the early morning, maybe also combining it with cold exposure, which I recently experimented with. I didn't only recently experiment with, but actually within the last years, uh, within basically when I started running, I realized that if I kept myself very cold when running up to the point where I almost froze when I, not froze, but began to freeze when I stopped running, basically only keeping a, a kind of normal temperature if I actually kept running, I had a very significant increase in what I was able to output in terms of performance. And this also has some, some evidence behind it. With, I think around 12 degrees Celsius is the optimal performance range. And then with every degree Celsius you increase the temperature, actually the performance decreases, or maybe it's 12 to 18 degrees Celsius or something like this. So what I'm doing is in the morning, I try to, because it's only 10 minutes, I can also last for 10 minutes, even if it's like five degrees outside. And this is something that also worked in the last few weeks. Now there are body temperature and so on and so forth and managing body temperature is something else. But what I did realize is that it seemed to work for me, at least to a certain extent. So now I do these intervals. So basically go out of the house and I begin to run. And then in between, what I do is I do posture training for running. So this could mean that I basically do these things where I, uh, where, where I just increase the height of my knees basically, or other running techniques. And by having this, I don't just walk in between, but I actually do something active in between. Of course, I can vary how intense the in-between running posture things are, but by using these, I am basically introducing a little bit of flexibility, of daily flexibility into my life. Additionally, I have the pauses in between the intervals, so I therefore can increase the intensity of the intervals. And after 10 minutes, I'm done, I return, and then I do my cold exposure, which I currently which currently is only limited to a cold shower, which of course varies. The temperature of the cold shower varies depending on the, on the season. So in winter, even though in a, even in a big house, for example, the temperature tends to be colder. Now, depending on where your location of your apartment in a house is, you get the water either directly from outside or it is already pre-warmed within the apartment building. Therefore, within the higher levels, the higher floors of a building, you might not get the whole benefit of the winter cold water. So by doing this, I now again increase my alertness for the rest of the day. And I again, I don't know if 
Cold showers also increase cortisol, but they increase then again adrenaline. So I shower for 10 minutes. I obviously don't shower for 10 minutes, but what this 10 minutes includes is me showering and also just changing clothes two times and then basically switching into my daily clothes because before I usually wear more like casual clothes. I actually noticed that I, if I wear something like this, even though I don't put in the effort to actually, uh, what is it called? To iron my shirts, which also maybe doesn't look too professional, I do realize that at least I hold myself up to a higher standard when I'm in a shirt, which is weird, but I think it seems to work. And that's probably also the reason why people around the world, even though they have don't have to wear clothes, they often tend to wear clothes like these. Now, within these 10 minutes, there's actually something I also left out because I do two additional things in the morning. Basically, after I stand up, I do a mini workout, which is 25 push-ups. 10 pull-ups and 25 jumps. And I again, before I am showering, do one of these again. I also do one of these again before I am showering after the evening workout, which lasts for an hour in total, including showers, basically from switching time to switching time or from switching task to switching task. And I also try to do one before bed, so as my nighttime routine, even though that increases alertness, so therefore I try to don't do it in the last 10 minutes, but much more in the last 20 minutes until I go to sleep. So in total, this whole, this whole small working out block and also the cold exposure after I have this one hour of learning in the morning basically increases the adrenaline after or also increases the alertness after I learned the thing, therefore increases the likelihood that I actually am able to remember the thing. I have something a little bit similar in the evening. You could also argue it would make sense to maybe, so I usually work out at 6 p.m. and one could argue that you could then schedule a second learning slot at 5 in the evening, which would also mean that it is basically a very, a very symmetric daily structure because obviously most people divide the day into two halves which each lasts 12 hours and so therefore you would both learn at five in both and then at six you would work out so therefore you would have some similarity in between those two. What I'm currently aiming at is an additional hour at night time. So this additional hour at night time is at nine and after I am at nine having this additional learning hour, what I do is I drive home with the bike, I ride home with the bike, which doesn't increase adrenaline or anything else too drastically. But this also just means that I have basically this one block of learning. And this one block of learning within basically now my total day is around my sleep. Now, therefore, what I'm also using is kind of the power of sleep. What I also do in the morning still is until 8 from 7.40 till 8 I do power nap for 20 minutes which might also increase retention still. I don't know if the effect is too drastic. Of course I cannot really measure it properly. Nevertheless, when it comes to now the different time blocks 
I do have the four hour sleeping time block at night. I also have an additional four hour sleeping time, not four hour, but two hour sleeping time block in the day. But when it comes to this time block now, if we assume this is zero, zero, so basically midnight, then you come from the previous day and you learn at night, not at night, but at nine. And then you have basically three additional hours left because I go to bed at midnight. So then you have the four hours basically here, which might increase retention because the actual retention thing and the actual storing of the information, of course, one could argue mostly at sleep or at least partially at sleep. And then I basically sleep and then I can repeat some of these things already again. And if I then stand up at four, then I have an additional hour, but at four then, no, at five then, then I can kind of within still, you could argue, still within one half of the day, which is the night half of the day, I again have a scheduled learning block. What this also allowed me to do now finally is basically to switch to a actually normal working style. And now a big part of the problem not a big part of the problem, but one of the major negative side effects of having these learning blocks within my day was that I couldn't compare myself to others, which sounds weird, but I think it makes sense to just do, to try to do the thing that works for most people, which is to work maybe 40 hours a week and eight hours in a given day. So what I try to aim at is from eight, till 12, I have my first four hour block, which also kind of aligns not really with the ultra diet rhythms, but with the four hour sessions, the deep work sessions. So I basically have two deep work sessions when it comes to my work. And these are deep work session sessions, not deep learning sessions. The learning sessions only last for 60 minutes, even though I might for example, have like 10 minutes in the beginning where I repeat things I previously learned. So therefore, you could argue that I don't exceed the threshold of 40 to 45 minutes. One of these smaller cycles last, which you can actually focus. So after 40 to 45 minutes, the focus tends to drop. So therefore, learning more than learning more than 45 or 40 minutes might also mean that you that you over time have more negative associations with learning actually, which I might discuss in a few seconds. So first of all, let's now com complete this here. So from eight till 12, and then the second would be from 14 or from 2 p.m. to 18. And then what is also nice about this is that I then have a full hour basically of, of creational time, recreational time where I work out and only then do I go back to kind of managing my private life and so on and so forth. And then at nine, again, one hour of studying. Now, this is only the ideal template. I don't do this every day. I try to aim at it every day. And this is this. The idea is to have a standard to which I can myself, can hold myself accountable towards. And in the last few weeks, I actually, even though I didn't have an ideal day every single day, I did manage to at least parts, to do at least parts of the day right. And what also seems to be working is at least partially the six hours. 
So six hours is not that much sleep. But what I realized over time is a kind of a relationship between sleep and activity. So let's plot this. If we have the amount of sleep needed, maybe on the axis here. So this is the sleep time. What we could draw is a moon, sleep time, and this is activity time. Now we just assume activity time, which also includes, uh, let's say, the intensity. So it is a standardized activity minute, basically, with a given intensity. So now, if I have, let's just say, my activity time is very low, then my sleep time is very high. So what this means now is that if I, for example, am here and my activity time is quite low, then I am here in terms of the relationship. Now, what I do realize is that if I now increase the activity time, then let's say here, then my sleep time tends to decrease here, for example. I do not know how the graph actually looks. One could argue that maybe it's a linear relationship or maybe it's also slightly like this. Of course, now, if I, <laughs> this is not a total trade-off. In terms of time, it might be a total trade-off. So you could say for one additional hour of sleep, you could also just do one additional hour of workout, but it doesn't really work that way. So therefore there seems to be more a function like this, where you still need, of course, some sleep. So maybe more like this. So the ideal point might be in the middle, of course, I didn't have any units here, but what I'm trying to say is that if I decrease my activity time radically, then my sleep need seems to go up drastically, up to maybe even eight, nine, 10. Sometimes I can even sleep for 14 hours. I could sleep in the past sometimes for 14 hours. Now, this is very weird. And what I noticed is that if I am very active, then I don't need that much sleep time. Now to close this chapter off is to maybe draw a conclusion from all of this. And the conclusion is that I actually just wanted to talk about the two learning slots and how Andrew Huberman helped me with his knowledge and with, his, with him providing free access to knowledge to find better slots for these two learning times of my day, which now also means I have, just like everybody else, eight hours in a given workday, which I can use in order to work and therefore also compare myself against others, therefore also calculate my wages accordingly and I don't have to have these two hours anymore. These two hours of learning disrupting basically my daily schedule and only then basically being six hours. What I also might have to mention is that this partially only works because I standardized my nutrition and therefore my nutrition and meal and grocery shopping takes less time. And therefore I could make these changes without me losing a lot of other time because I actually gained time from standardizing my nutrition, one could say.